Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Proverbs chapter 27. As I mentioned in the previous episode, in Proverbs chapter 25, we entered into collection five, which runs from chapter 25, verse one, through to chapter 29, verse 27. There appear to be two subsections in this chapter. Bruce Walke gives verses one to 22, the title about friends and friendship. And then he gives the second subsection in verses 23 to 27, the heading caring for flocks and herds. If you're a note taker, then I think you could safely insert those two headings into the margin of your Bible. The first subsection about friends and friendship appears to be arranged in two equal sized stanzas. The first one in verses 1 to 10 and the second one in verses 11 to 21. Verse 22 is a sort of transition or Janus verse. Now, to be clear, it does seem likely that all of these Proverbs probably pre-existed the current arrangement. Remember, this entire collection was assembled by the men of Hezekiah. So they took existing Proverbs attributed to Solomon and then arranged them for particular effect. As such, we'll need to continually zoom in and zoom out, as it were, to see the message of the original proverb and the message intended by the later arrangement. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Walke has identified a set of brackets around all of the content in verses 1 to 21. Verse 1 in the Hebrew begins with the word halal, translated in the ESV as boast. And then verse 21, so that's the outer end of the bracket in the Hebrew, ends with the word halal. Scholars refer to this as an inclusio, and it was a pretty common way for ancient writers to indicate a contained unit of thought. The brackets, in addition to marking off the material, typically add to our understanding of what lies within. The message here would seem to be that given the tumultuous nature of life in a fallen world, it is wise to build deep, multi-generational friendships with solid and reliable people. The following content then serves as a sort of manual for pursuing and maintaining relationships of that sort. Stylistically, it appears to offer alternating positive and negative statements about the dynamics within a useful friendship. So verses two to three say, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Taken together, we might say, a good friend will give you a fair and objective perspective. He or she will tell you what you can't see and what you don't know about yourself. Their feedback ought to be highly valuable to you. If they praise you, take that seriously. Whereas, of course, a fool is just going to say whatever they can think of that will agitate and upset you. Don't pay too much attention to them. People like that only bring you down. That's the collective interpretation, meaning that seems to be the message when you consider this saying in the context of the larger arrangement. Taken on its own, each proverb is saying something important as well. 
verse 1 is reminding us that all long-term plans and ambitions should be held loosely. We live in a complex and fallen world that is ruled over by a good and all-powerful God, working purposes of judgment and salvation. So you need to account for that, and failure to account for that is the very definition of folly. Verse 2 should be understood as a clear warning against self-praise. No one likes a person who's constantly bragging about their own achievements. So don't be that person. Be the person who encourages a friend with accurate and edifying praise. Verse 3 is a reminder that the speech of fools is hard to bear. The wise ruler will do whatever he or she can to restrain such speech or at least to limit his or her exposure to it. Verse 4, wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? The words for wrath and anger are frequently paired together in the Bible for color and emphasis, like how in English we often speak of pain and sorrow. Here, however, a third word is added, the word jealousy. The idea is that these emotions, particularly in combination, are corrosive to human relationships. An angry, wrathful, jealous person is going to be socially isolated. Verses 5 and 6 appear to go together. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So whereas wrath, anger, and jealousy are corrosive to human relationships, honesty, transparency, and frankness contribute to robust friendship. When a friend tells you something hard, you should listen. His kick in the pants is worth far more than the deceitful embrace of an enemy. Now, of course, this isn't a license to overshare or to constantly criticize. It's simply saying that friendship is built on honesty. Real friends tell the hard truths when required. A good friend tells you when your fly is open. A good friend tells you when you have a piece of broccoli in your teeth. A good friend tells you when you may have a drinking problem. A good friend tells you when you need to stop watching cable news. A good friend tells you when you need to put your phone down and go for a walk outside. Real friendship thrives on loving frankness. That's the kind of friendship we need in a complex and difficult world. Verses 7 and 8 seem to go together. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Now, taken on its own, verse 7 seems to be saying that hunger is the best sauce, to quote Charles Nordoff in Men Against the Sea. I have a plaque with that saying emblazoned on it in my kitchen. When combined with verse 8, as it is here, the more collective sense would seem to be that when we gratify our appetites with the wrong things, we may come to have disdain for the right things. People who indulge in pornography, for example, may find themselves uninterested in actual sex with their spouse. On the flip side, if you develop self-control with respect to pornography, you may find yourself attracted to your spouse and fully satisfied with the pleasures of marital sex. Zooming out even further and remembering the overall theme for this section, we might say that in a world like this one, a deep, disciplined, and devoted relationship with one's spouse is the most important friendship of all. Amen to that. Verses 9 and 10 seem to be a pair. 
Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. The emphasis here is on the blessing of good counsel and support from a multi-generational community. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Having just read Gene Twenge's book, Generations, I can tell you that people of different ages and life experience need to band together to face the challenges we're facing in the years ahead. Young people, you need to listen to older people. Older people, you need to listen to younger people. Given the uncertainty of the world we live in, it will take a multi-generational community with deep relational bonds to provide the sort of support and guidance that people will need to survive and thrive. This sort of community will become even more important than biological family, as verse 10b says. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. We learned that lesson during COVID, didn't we? The modern family has spread out all over the map. All right, well, when crisis hits... It's going to be the deacons in your church bringing you soup, toilet paper, and antigen tests that help you weather the storm. Not your daughter, who lives four states away. COVID was a reminder that multi-generational community matters, and I suspect the future will favor those who took that lesson to heart. In verse 11, we enter into the second stanza in this subsection. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad, that I may answer him who reproaches me. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. There is nothing cowardly or unfaithful about taking wise precautions. Just as it is not a sin to carry an umbrella on a rainy day, so it is not a sin to get a vaccine that may reduce your chances of catching a virus or increase your chances of fighting it off. Now, of course, there may be good reasons not to do that. Your doctor can give you counsel on that. My point is simply that taking precautions is not an act of unfaith. That it was portrayed as such by some in the wider Christian world during the pandemic says, more about the state of our politics and the state of contemporary media than it does about the basic principles of wisdom and prudence. I repeat, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. As grandma used to say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If there is a simple and sinless way to reduce risk and to avoid trouble, then take it. That sounds very much like wisdom to me. Verse 13. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger, and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for an adulteress. This proverb is saying basically the same thing as was said in chapter 20, verse 16. So see the comments that were made previously there. Verse 14 says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. Yes, Timing is important. Doing the right thing at the wrong time is the same thing as doing the wrong thing. Verses 15 to 16 appear to go together. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. 
We've seen this basic message before in terms of the meaning of the individual proverb. Viewed as part of this collection, the message would seem to be that in a tumultuous and uncertain world like this one, a good marriage is an incredible blessing, whereas a marriage characterized by constant quarreling is an unbearable burden. Be good to each other. To face the uncertainty and chaos in the world outside, you need peace and partnership with your most intimate companion. Verse 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. This proverb is saying essentially the same thing as was said in verses 5 to 6. Loving correction from a friend makes you a much better person. Verse 18, whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. This proverb is saying that hard work and faithfulness generally result in honor and reward. Whether you're looking after a person or a plant, we might say in English, do a good job and you will prosper. Verse 19, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. As a man is in his heart, so he is. That's the basic idea here. The inner thought life of a person is who that person really is, not their outer appearance and not necessarily what they say. D.L. Moody said once, character is who you are in the dark. And that comes very close to the imagery being used here. Just like you might look down into a well and see your own face looking back at you, so too, when you look down into your heart, you will discover the real you. Verse 20, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. This proverb is saying that desires can never be satisfied. Desire is a bottomless pit. And that's why feeding desires tends to lead to more and more desire and less and less satisfaction. Pornography is a wonderful illustration of this principle. The deeper you go down that pit, the more graphic depictions are required to satisfy you and the less actual sexual intimacy you become capable of. You need a complete break and a thorough detox to recover from that journey into debauchery and destruction. Verse 21. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Making use of a refining metaphor, this proverb is saying that receiving praise is a good test of character. If it causes you to become bloated with pride and self-importance, then... Obviously, you have some work to do, but if you're able to receive it without being ruined by it, then obviously you must be reasonably well-grounded. Praise tells the truth about who we are, though not in the way we tend to think. Verse 22, crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. Making use of a similar metaphor, the sage here is saying that even if you were to put a fool in one of those old-fashioned mortars and crush him up with a pestle rod, you still wouldn't be able to separate him from his folly. It is baked into his cake, you might say. He has become what he says and does. And of course, there's a warning there for us. After a while, we all become what we say and do. The Bible doesn't separate action from identity the way that we often do. We tend to hold our actions at arm's length and say, yes, I did that, but that's not really who I am. The Bible doesn't quite see it that way. Actions become habit, 
become character, become destiny. And that's why in the New Testament, we are told you must be born again. The gospel assumes that people need to be saved, not just improved. They need a new heart and a new spirit to break free from the destructive patterns that have warped our behavior and identity. But thanks be to God, that is exactly the power we have access to through the person and work of Christ. Praise the Lord. In verses 23 to 27, we have a brief collection of Proverbs having to do with the proper care of herds and flocks. Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone, and the new growth appears, and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and maintenance for your girls. Obviously, this section assumes an agricultural context, but that isn't to say that the wisdom contained within it is applicable solely or even primarily within that context. The Bible often embeds wisdom and law in a particular context, and then assumes that we have the ability to extract the principle and reapply it somewhere else. So, for example, the Apostle Paul cites Deuteronomy 25.4 in 1 Corinthians 9, 9-10. He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. He goes on to say, Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak certainly for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. So Paul cites a law about allowing oxen to eat while treading out grain as a way of arguing for the payment of gospel ministers. He extracts a principle. Workers work harder when they have a share of the product. He extracts that principle from an agricultural context and then drops it into a conversation about the Christian ministry. The Bible everywhere assumes that we have the ability to do this. And the sages here are assuming that the young people, the young leaders making use of this catechism, are also able to do this. Remember, this book was originally packaged as a gift to the royal son, who was not literally a shepherd, but who was figuratively a shepherd. The word shepherd, of course, was a very common metaphor in that culture for the leader. So yes, this paragraph at one level is about herding sheep, and yet it has a number of important leadership-level insights that are relevant to pastors, parents, business owners, and managers still today. So, for example, we see in verse 23 that a shepherd needs to know the health and state of his flock. Okay, well, that's why pastors take attendance. That's why they conduct membership surveys. That's why they talk to their people at the coffee shop. That's why they ask congregants how their marriage is doing and how the prayer life is going. That's good shepherding, no matter the context. Leaders need information. They need to know the health and status of every single member of their organization. If you understand your people and your product, then you should be able to have success. You should be able to make money to transpose this into a business key. And that's good because wealth is fleeting, according to verse 24. The money you already have can disappear as fast as you can make it. So know your people and know your product and you can make more. If you look after your business, your business will look after you as per verses 25 to 27. That's the basic idea here. And that's true for actual shepherds. And I think we would agree that it is true for pastors and for just about anyone engaged in 
any kind of business or leadership enterprise you can think of. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa. I've seen this project with my own eyes. I have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped. I have heard the songs and Bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the Lord. And nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for Into the Word by investing in these little ones. You can do that in one of two ways. You can give through the Into the Word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Just click on the Give tab, and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA. So tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. Just identify where you're listening from and click on the Fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.